Hi everyone, Matt here. This is part two of episode 58. Uh, so it's probably best to go and listen to that one first. Otherwise, this one could get very confusing. Enjoy. Cool. So that's the green skins and the space wolves. So mm. should we look at a cog in the psychic awakening machine? Um, mm. Let's talk engine war. So, <laughs> so the Adeptus Mechanicus on Mars, you know what? They were mm. troubled. Uh, they basically felt that their influence and power was on the decline and were conscious of any loss of its valuable relics. They love those relics. Oh, we, we, we hold mm. on to them. Um, and resources and, you know, and the implications if they lost any of that. So to basically help deal with these fears, they would travel to worlds loyal to them using their reclamation fleets uh, to remind them who was in charge <laughs> if needed. Um, so on one of these particular fleets was a Magos Zoo crawl, uh, who was heading to the Segmentum Tempestus on a slow and perilous journey as the warp storms would basically wipe out some of the finest navigators around due to their alliance with the best houses. So they basically made contact with many worlds loyal, affiliated to Mars on the way, uh, with the effects of the Great Rift to be seen, you know, affecting relay stations to forge temples, uh, like, like for example, you had servitors being turned into rampaging monsters thanks to data demons. You had scrap code infected creators, uh, destroying relics by overloading reactors or even the mending of flesh and metal gluing mm. together like wax thanks to Ugh. sentient warp sores. Ugh. Ugh, warp sores. That just sounds so nasty. Oh, that's very gross. <laughs> so the Magi couldn't couldn't understand what they were seeing. In some cases, they literally mentally blocked it out due to how illogical <laughs> these things were. Like, no, no, it's definitely not happening. Um, so some went mad trying to work out why some people were declared machine touched as the psychers assessing, assessing them vomited black fire. It was yeah, a whole you know section of of misunderstanding. Uh, so the Admech, uh, Mars, and Kroll uh, basically realised that they needed to get control of this. You know, uh, and mm. if this meant using old or unstable tech, then so be it. So with the Forge worlds under threat, the the fleets would basically enlist the help of the uh, you know Sisters of Battle, the Astra Militarum, and certain Night house, Households as well, all looking to basically play their part, uh, including what was the the Knights of the Padar March. Uh, more about them mm. soon. Uh, so they were led by Baroness Swordhen of uh, House Terran. Uh, they were basically an alliance of nobles from multiple systems, uh, with herself mm. particularly hating sorcery. Um, but ironically, having an entourage of soothsayers and readers of the Emperor's yeah. Tarot with her. Oh, that's so that's allowed. That's different. That's not mad. That's not sorcery. Stop judging. Um, many, many of their knights and nobles carried scars uh, relating to warp magic, therefore were familiar with obviously the damage it can cause. Uh, so as the fleets traveled throughout space, they came across 
slaughter and defilement where they went uh, with the chaos knights often being the worst of that so you know these horrific lances of of knights that would basically take control of whole systems as they seeped mm. out from the uh, warp and unleash terror upon you. Uh, so you had the, for example, the world of uh, Sturmvale being a good example, um, where basically the Chaos Knights decimated the planet whilst rounding up all the psychism witches onto conveyor belts. Come on, this way, <laughs> on you go. Um, so <laughs> House uh, Lacaris and other corrupt houses were behind this as Kroll and his fleet you know, basically saw from the pick feeds. Uh, then all of mm-hmm. a sudden, the fleet was taken aback from a, by an intense warp storm, destroying mm-hmm. some of their ships or simply vanishing, with Kroll mm-hmm. detecting a signal. He did, knew he had to follow it. But let's switch it up to another place, temporarily called yes. Ordex Tharg. So basically this is a, a smaller forge world that had previously been abandoned due to it being overrun, overrun by orcs in the past. So uh, the orcs have moved on, but the... Admech could not reclaim the world generally because they didn't have the resources to do so, especially with other issues, you know, in other parts of the galaxy. So they had assumed that the system and its various forges were now dormant, despite void riggers sort of basically suggesting that that some of the worlds there had been newly raised uh, by Mm. unknown forces, uh, which basically stopped happening after the Great Rift had happened. Uh, And then basically in turn, the warp anomaly called the Siren Storm came into existence that, at that time as well. So again, strange things were happening there that they couldn't really account for. So what had actually happened in the system is it had been taken over by Chaos Knights and Dark Mech, uh, particularly their demon splices. Now, basically, these splices had teamed up with uh, Magnate Versk, uh, who's part of House uh, Lacaris, uh, basically suggesting that the tech here would be worth his time and allow him to get his much-needed revenge on terror that he wanted to do. So mm. they basically went about their task, drilling literally right into the core of Ordex Tharg, uh, installing corrupt machinery tainted with uh, demon essence and fueled by hundreds of psycho sacrifices brought, brought to them by the Chaos Knights, mm. hence why they were putting them on conveyor belts. So uh. this was basically, I love this, this was basically to form an anchor between reality and the warp with basically the orbiting of its star creating like a spindle like effect. And then in turn, it would create a bigger and bigger tear thanks to the, uh, you know, the pulling power from the siren storm and, you know, normally that was there as well. So basically this threat would endanger naturally the billions of lives around uh, and the resources nearby, but actually their real target was terror uh, in that they could aim if that basically, if they could get this warp rift and push it in that direction. So, uh, Ordex Tharg had been turned into like an industrial world of horror. So you've got like corrosive smog, ritual sites, witch fire across the surface. Uh, Versk and his nobles were looking above, down on a, you know from above in their citadels, calling in all knights, you know, including free blades. Um, mm. But particularly the greatest citadel, was called uh, Kvisverg, uh, was basically built with slave labor and became like a maze of fortifications with all sorts of traps and uh, again that seems to be a common thing there seems to be traps mm. everywhere um mm. it's, <laughs> when it's chaos it's them and their bloody traps um so <laughs> um its central keep uh, guarded one end of the borehole that had gone literally right through the planet whilst the other end had right it's it had a demon pyramid resonator spire <laughs> Um, so, uh, the other end, which basically contained raging demons implanted into it. It's a bit like an antennae covered in blood mm. and fleshy emitters. <laughs> Lovely. 
the thing of dreams. Mm. Uh, so basically this combination of ancient imperial tech and demon corruption had been the signal that had attracted uh, Kroll here, uh, whilst losing many important navigators on the way, unfortunately, due to the the warp. Now, many of his advisors raised concerns, but once he had the reports in and had spoken to his trusted advisors, they knew what to do. And the uh, Varlian device was on his side. Hmm, more about the Varlian device later. Um, so, uh, as they neared the planet, Kroll told everyone his plan. The machine gone had been defiled here, and corruption must be purged. And so it yeah. just so happened that Kroll and his cronies were part of a subcult called the Teeth of the Cog, uh, as <laughs> basically Admech has many divisions and, and cults within it as well, who mm. basically are repulsed by anything psychic in nature, even navigators and astropaths, but they keep that to themselves. <laughs> Therefore, <laughs> he was sort of being quite careful with what he said. So he basically revealed he had possession of the Varlian device. Uh, yes. He wouldn't say how, um, but basically this device was capable of suppressing psychic power through a null pulse. So a, a quick aside, actually, even though mm. Kroll was not sure where the device had come from and, and came about it and how it came about it. But basically when the teeth <laughs> of the cog were approached by a shadowy tech priest, uh, where mm. they just use Vox, no, you know, no, nothing else, uh, who said his masters has come across basically the STC of this device built it and were basically wanting to field test it. So, uh, you know, obviously the, the teeth of the cog cults were, you know, questioned where it had come from, but to be honest, they were too excited to use it. That they thought, yeah, yeah. Okay. We'll use yeah. it. Don't matter where it came yeah. from. You don't look shadowy at all. It's not like it's Necron tech or anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You look completely trustworthy. Um, so, so basically the device was to be unleashed, you know, logic over witchcraft, which basically inspired, you know, his usually passive forces. So, you know, the Admech mm. were ready to fight. So he sent his forces to war, uh, you know, attacking the mighty Citadel with, you know, calculated attacks from different points, uh, using them to distract Baroness Swordhen, uh, um, while she came to basically lead her own forces, uh, whilst the Admech were attacking. So basically the Admech forces bombarded the Citadel with uh, neutron lasers and heavier weapons, forcing through the defences, you know, as the rock creep began to ignite. So the Admech forces were, were basically getting battered themselves, though, uh, as seems to be with every battle, obviously, is that, you know, the defence guns were kicking in as soon as they were in range, um, blowing holes in the, in the Skatari, uh, castling robots, you know, uh, I love this. Set about literally ripping chunks out of the wall until a hole was made, it's like yeah. a, like a lemming, like <laughs> um, trying to get through. Um, with uh, with Kroll's army uh, pushing through, whilst bringing the Varlian device in on it, it's based on like a floating frame guarded by uh, conversion fields. Um, but basically, the further his forces pushed into the citadel, the harder the resistance came. So the more oppressive the walls and the bigger losses that they were taking because obviously the Chaos Knights were getting involved with battle cannons and volcano lances. Mm. So, and obviously traps came alive as curtain walls cut them off. You had gargoyles vomiting fire, you know, it was all going on. And then basically out of the shadows, Chaos Knights tore through the attackers with, you know, missiles or crunching them underfoot. Uh, at one point, an iron grid was lifted and out came a rampaging Chaos Knight with saw blades on its feet. 
Love it. Love that a lot. Um, yeah. And, you know, ripping and tearing whilst coming under fire, whilst enraged, you know, it got even madder. Uh, so basically seeing his forces struggling and running out of time, he, he knew he had to, you know, Kroll knew he had to make use of his device and decided to remotely activate it. But let's switch over to another scene, which is the beacon of corruption. So the Knights of the Burning Spear, led by Sir uh, Denkar in who's riding in Drakefire, uh, were basically the lance formed to deal with the Resonator Spire on Ordex Tharg. So basically promising it would be destroyed, whilst Baroness Sordan would basically lead a good part of the Padar March uh, to the Citadel and fight there. So basically doing, you know, going in two different parts. So, uh, you know, the nobles and other ladies and sirs joined along on this mighty quest. So, <laughs> so this spire was huge. Like we're talking mm. like one and a half times the height of a night valiant. You know, the spire was like basically like an obelisk with like brass aerials and conduits, uh, fleshy parts running along it. You got blood, buzzing flies, detail runes, not very nice. So al- around the construct, earthquakes had ravished the land. The, uh, chasms containing the hidden forges of the dark mech were starting to show, uh, with like foul growths and taint around the perimeter. Again, very nasty place. So, like looking in, you would see like sickly covered fumes. Experiment, <laughs> I love this. Like experimental, you know, escapees had been there as well, just <laughs> hiding in the dark and other such horrors. So, basically, as they passed by, the noise scrambled cold code could be heard on their voxnet, causing an uneasy feeling. It was again a very very weird situation so basically above the spire itself was this patch of sky with a sickly looking light spinning around and rotating into darkness basically causing shadow and a, and a toxic looking vapor around the actual spire itself mm-hmm. so these shadows formed into demons as the the knights you know crept closer the near yep. can actually can, can knights creep no they probably can't creep but so the the nearby fissures uh hissed and the horror before them triggered their thrones mechanicum to come alive with memories of the past and how these spawn must be destroyed so basically mm-hmm. the knights advanced and fired you know tearing through demons and as they went uh but uh, sir morgant and his uh, sky on of uh, Torres were lost to plague bearers as they were overwhelmed, you know, man and machine power extreme. Um, and, uh, the Knights launched salvos at the spire, you know, taking chunks off it, which caused some of the demons to dis- disappear as the patch in the sky sort of waned, but it still wasn't enough as the demons began to slowly overwhelm them. Uh, mechanical horrors rose from the chasms, dragging down armagers, you know, and such like, yeah. uh, lady Olwyn had to duel the bloodthirster, uh, who she killed, but was ripped apart by Chaos Furies afterwards because she was sort of left exposed. Uh, Drake Fire was attacked by a demon, but a all of a sudden a melting sky of Torres, you know the one that was lost to Plague Bearers a minute ago, came to its aid and with its basically with its noble, you know, becoming impaled. But the Dying Knight landed and pinned the demon. I love that. It's like I didn't die, and then just sort of belly flops on a demon. Um, I love it. So uh, Drake Fire and its uh, Thunder Strike Gauntlet, you know, took out the um, the mechanisms of the spire, you know, causing the light to go out, and then all of a sudden, boom, an aftershock, and the demons went back to the warp, and the spire came tumbling down. So, uh, right, so as we know, uh, Dominus Kroll, who we were speaking about earlier, was attacking various parts of the, the Citadel, mm. but uh, Baroness Swordhand was looking to make an attack on the actual gatehouse. So... 
orbiting yeah. above the planet, she received news from Kroll that her seers were right. The Empress Tarot had shown the, shown the spindle and with the witch upon causing issues for those who were righteous. You know, basically, what magic was afoot here? So she attacked her target with you know, force and precision, uh, using additional lances to surround herself. Uh, so basically no traitors could you know, uh, attack them from the rear. So she took uh, another three lances consisting of 24 different knights from various different oh houses. God. A lot of knights. <laughs> One or two. Uh, you know, almost as many as you've got, Cameron. And um, <laughs> we... <laughs> so uh, she took all these knights towards the armoured gatehouse in basically in like a wedge formation so you know they use long range fire to batter it uh they you know used armagers to take out sensors and and close combat knights to take down the walls so slowly they advanced and and what they were doing it was replacing knights in their formation when one was at the front and became too damaged so it went back to the rear uh eventually the shields fell uh, and with a thunder coil harpoon frying the last bit of defences, they finally brought down the walls around the gatehouse. So they poured in, uh, but three knights were taken down by murder holes or techno-virus injectors and the like, but, you know, the force still mar- marched on. Then the Chaos Knights suddenly attacked, with the ensuing battle <laughs> drowning out any tectonic activity as these giants ripped each other's apart. Uh, so the Baroness became frustrated as the Basically, the traitors got the upper hand, uh, and she decided to retreat whilst trying to vox Kroll, whose, voice, whose forces were clearly losing too, because basically you could glance to the west and see they were fighting over there. Uh, then the null field he- uh, hit. Skatari became motionless, but in the case of the night faction, several pilots died as the feedback from the stripping away of geists in their thrones mechanicum killed them. That sounds a really nasty experience. And... Um, mm. Basically, the null field that had been caused by uh, the device quickly disappeared, allowing the Imperial Knights to escape. Uh, and for some reason, it, it affected the Chaos Knights more, but it wouldn't it couldn't understand why. Um, so after the battle, so when she quizzed Kroll for answers, like, what, you know, what's mm-hmm. going on? What have you done? Uh, his talk of the de- his device triumph and obviously the acceptable losses made the Baroness mm-hmm. realise that he had killed her nobles um, as part of this. So she grabbed him in his gauntlet, you know, in her gauntlet, I should say, and took him mm. away back as he screamed. I love that. Yeah. Just sort of took him hostage. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> come in with me. Uh, so <laughs> the last bit uh, <laughs> for this is uh, demon. Let's get the demons involved. So what happens, mm. what happens when you set off a null field when it's holding back lots of demons? Well, after being Ooh. held back for, for centuries by demon splices, they get their own back and tear them apart. So out popped four exalted demons who were responsible for this and basically uh, made Magnate uh, Versk their number one target. So uh, they weren't even bothered by the effects that the Valian device had caused on the surface. Uh, being demons, you know, they were worshipped like gods. They were powerful. Mm, so basically yeah. they, um, they jumped on Versk's uh, night despoiler, uh, sinking into it and welding it shut, you know, basically causing him to scream in agony as his knight pierced him. <laughs> I like the fact his own knight pierces him uh, with iron shards. And uh, and then basically at the same time, using their demon powers, they kicked out the spirits in his throne mechanicum as well. So basically at this point he's pleading, you know, uh, which didn't get him anywhere, uh, as basically a vortex opened and he, is, he and his fallen nobles were dragged down. I love that. It's like, no, you're coming with us. Um, so the, uh, the demons tracked... 
the Admech ships uh, due to a trail of null energy that was was falling behind them, uh, realizing that they needed to deal with these mortals in case they brought back more of these devices because uh, obviously it would have an effect on the demons. So what they did was summon more demons to their cause as they chased the ships. So the ships themselves were, you know, all over the place due to the abduction of Kroll by the Baroness um, <laughs> and became even more so, obviously, when warp breaches appeared on their decks. Uh, even Kroll's flagship, uh, frag, flagship uh, Regulus Prime, uh, who was preparing a rescue mission for their Dominus at this point, was suddenly flooded and attacked by demons. Uh, and then Magos Jabek, who was this, this Magos that's permanently sealed in a floating platform, uh, was basically trying to defend the the engines and the the generators. But the the laborer defenders started sprouting biomechanical appendages and started to attack his robots and machinery. Uh, his reports were telling him that this was happening all over the fleet as demonic incursions broke out. Uh, with the Lord of the Demons uh, using his talons to kill the shipmaster and take control of the navigation systems. So basically an order went out to the whole fleet, turn and head towards the, the nearest system star. So I love that. I love the fact that the demons just take over the joint as everything's going mad. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Often space adventures are these demons. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that was engine war. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we'll move on to uh, the new hotness, the thing everyone was talking about. It's that lad, Fabulous Bill, in Whore of the Spider. Mm. Um, hey, by the way, I just finished Manflayer, everyone. Ooh, it was a good setup for this. It is. <laughs> <laughs> People should read that book. They should. Um, <laughs> do it. So, our story in Water of the Spider, however, starts with the planet... Kasadu, home to the chapter known as the Brazen Drakes, were noble and selfless defenders of humanity, fighting in the Emperor's name for over 5,000 years. And definitely not traitors. Yeah, definitely not traitors. Uh, <laughs> but you know, the Noctis Eternum, the eternal night of the Great Rift, uh, did change everything. Um, some believe that their chapter master, Argento Corin, had been concealing latent psychic powers for years. Others claim they manifested suddenly as a result of the Great Rift. Whatever the truth, uh, by the time uh, the Eternal Night, where the Astronomican was out, uh, was over, Corian and over half of the chapter turned renegade. Oh. Yeah, uh, Corian renamed himself the Enlightener, uh, and <laughs> the conflict with their for- former lo- former brethren, the Loyalists, spilled out to consume three entire Imperial systems. Um, and finally, the Brazen Drakes were defeated by the Torchbearer Task Force, charged with delivering Primaris gene tech to the once loyal chapter. Uh, so the Enlightener and the ragged remains of his warriors fled from this final retribution at the hands of the Adeptus Custodes, making for the Nachmund Gauntlet. Hey, everyone remembers that, right? From Vigilus, yeah. Yeah, Vigilus, yeah. Yeah, uh, and the, the idea of safety beyond it in the lawless wilds of the Dark Imperium the Torchbearer fleet, commanded by Adeptus Custodes Captain Atal Tyvar, destroyed the gene tech they had brought and executed every surviving Brazen Drake's Primaris Marine they had brought with them, just in case. Because, uh, <laughs> I believe as I talked about in a Warhammer Waffle, uh, the Adeptus Custodes have problems. <laughs> 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 Uh, Tyvar <laughs> yeah. then vowed that he and the fleet would hunt the Enlightener to the ends of the galaxy and set off 
in furious pursuit, not knowing uh, that news of the Brazen Drake's heresy had made its way back to Holy Terror itself, and another Imperial force was mobilizing alongside them. Meanwhile, Fabius Bile, uh, by chance, ran into the Enlightener uh, in the Cadian Gate. <laughs> Just a nice, safe place to be hanging out. Uh, and <laughs> Just chilling. Being an opportun- yeah, yeah. And uh, being an opportunist, uh, Fabius soon turned this uh, crazy random happenstance to his advantage. Um, Bile's grand scheme was underway, and speculation was rife in the eye of terror as to what he might be planning. Perhaps another attempt at cloning or creating his own Primark. Maybe fashioning <laughs> some dread new altered army or developing a weapon that could slay even Robuta Gilliman. Uh, Bile, of course, wasn't saying anything, because he doesn't kiss and tell. Uh, he's very classy. Um, <laughs> I love Fabius Bile. I'll just say that right now. He's so... He's so suave. Um, <laughs> of course, he, yeah, like I said, he said nothing of his schemes and just uh, moved with purpose through the Dark Imperium. Uh, and part of this purpose was uh, he stole an artifact that had been bestowed upon the Death Guard by the great unclean one, Rotigus the Rainfather himself, uh, named the Ark Corny Contagious, because subtlety is dead. Uh, <laughs> this gruesome gift seethed with a psychic disease that triggered catastrophic and uncontrollable bodily regeneration in its victims. Um, for the Death Guard, this was a boon, because uh, they could heal damage faster than their flows could inflict it. To any other creature, however, uh, the the effect of it was more a monstrous blight that uh, soon reduced anyone to a mounding, uh, sorry, a heaving mound of diseased flesh. Uh, so it's pretty dangerous. <laughs> um, what Bile wanted it for... He did not tell anyone. No one could guess. But at the head of a ragtag alliance of renegade warbands, he braved the Scourge Stars and successfully stole it. I want to. I want to read that book. Yeah. I want to read <laughs> Fabius Bile with a ragtag renegade warband doing a heist on Typhus. Yeah, <laughs> doing a heist on Typhus. <laughs> uh, put it in a stasis field and uh, lost all but a handful of his followers. And so, back towards the Eye of Terror he went. Um, <laughs> fortunately, right as he needed new allies, guess who he bumped into? He bumped into the Enlightener and the remainders of the uh, Brazen Drakes, who had now called themselves the Shriven, having pledged themselves to the Black Legion. Uh, but they knew that the Imperial forces were still pursuing them, so they needed help. So Bile saw in the Shriven an army he could use, and the Shriven saw in Bile someone who could potentially save them from uh, annihilation. And so, it was a diabolical alliance of mutual mistrust. And of course, uh, Bile's going to come out on top of this, because that's how it goes. Um, <laughs> it's his book. <laughs> that's really how it goes. It's his book. It's absolutely his book. Um, <laughs> uh, so, they made their alliance on the uh, under the poisonous light of the mutant star uh, that the planet of Dessar orbited around, uh, Bile co-opting a sprawling suite of bio-watered vaults within the fortress there, uh, concealing the Ark behind runic locks and servitor guns, and then set to work augmenting these brand new friends of his. Um, the Enlightener hadn't lost any of his strategic brilliance and charisma from his days as a chapter master, uh, and Bile saw this as evidence of a prodigious private army serving at Corian's whim, but also there were hordes of cultists, mutants, and rogue psychers and a menacing complement of trader warships. Uh, so it's really a very handy small army. About mm. 1,500 points. 
Uh, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and as, uh, and as Fabius worked on Corian's, uh, personal augmentations, he urged his new employer to swift action against approaching threats. Um, although the Enlightener was pretty focused on the Imperial fleet pursuing him, he did soon grasp the, uh, true scale of the immediate threat presented by Typhus and the Death Guard. Um, but he wasn't mad at Fabius. Because no one can be mad at Fabius. Uh, no. Mostly because Bile had injected him with a number of elixirs that did make him significantly stronger and more tough, but also made him terribly, terribly addicted. <laughs> and so he was afraid of Bile cutting him off, effectively. Fair enough. <laughs> um, so whether he wished it or no, Fabius essentially controlled him at this point. We're less than a week into their alliance and, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, information from Corian's slave sorcerers suggested that the Terminus Est was days from exiting the warp above Dessa, and the omens told of a massive plague fleet coming with it, uh, and if they took that kind of attack head-on, they would absolutely lose. Uh, <laughs> so, a preemptive strike was required. The Enlightened Merge just suggested the nearby world of Lamaxis, uh, and it was the, uh, basically the perfect place. It was a habitable world, but, uh, the oceans had risen to swallow basically all but one of the continents, uh, and the region was known as the Drowning Wastes and was essentially a giant swamp that used to be two hive cities. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh it's not the ideal theater to fight Death Guard in, uh, but there's not really any other option, so they mobilized half the military assets, led a formidable force over there, uh, along with the first batch of grotesquely altered brazen drakes known as the Tarata. <clears throat> and the plan was set. So, Typhus and his Vectorians have been following basically the psychic scent of that disgusting relic that was stolen <laughs> from them. Um, but, suddenly, uh, the tracking devices, and I say devices because they're actually mutants uh, trained to follow that particular psychic scent, uh, went absolutely nuts, as the uh, science says, and surely they were right on top of his prey. They tore their way out of out of warp back into real space. There's a planet below. There's a signal on the planet below. That's got to be them. Time to attack. Um, and of course we can't we can't board Bioscraft. There's Bioscraft D. We can't board a spaceship. It's obviously a trap. And so uh, we'll shoot out the remaining en engines on the ship. And uh, just send it crashing down into the uh, into the land below, and then we'll make planet pull and mop up any survivors. Good plan, Typhus. Yeah, you're so smart. Oh, um, the best. Yeah, well, like the arc's blessed, so it's not going to be destroyed, even if we hit it with the lance fire. It's fine. Um, but it did seem someone survived on board the wretch because the emergency thrusters did fire as it uh, fell out of orbit onto the planet uh, and was. Cut clean in half by the impact, um, but Typhus was fine with that. Down he goes. Uh, <laughs> and they, this massive Death Guard army disperses out of their various landing crafts, walking up to this broken starship. Uh, and um, instead of the precious relic, he found himself fighting a rabble of half-dead slaves and one very big bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, uh, as the bomb went off simultaneously in orbit, the plague fleet was attacked. 
Uh, Bile had stolen some night shields on his last visit to Komara from the Dark Eldar, uh, and had used them to hide the Brazen Drake's, uh, fleet that they had sent. And as Typhus was distracted dealing with being in the middle of a nuclear explosion, uh, <laughs> they attacked the fleet, destroying, uh, several of the ships and heavily damaging many others. And finally, the last three plague ships were forced to flee orbit, hoping to reform and counterattack. At which point, the Space Marines do what Space Marines do. Bile and the Shriven made a planetfall attack on the remaining agents of Typhus down on the planet. Uh, while the drop pods fell, very impressive, very striking look at the drop pods, everyone. Uh, the <laughs> Tirada, essentially possessed, who had landed several days before and advanced under a blanket of sorcery, hurled themselves against Death Guard defenses. <laughs> so this is really... <laughs> This is a multi-layered perfect... This is why I like Biles. This multi-layered perfect ambush kind of scenario. Yeah. Still absolute chaos, obviously. Um, and, it, hey, it turns out uh, the Enlightener, as he is named now, is a massively powerful psyker. He can literally fly around and shoot burning beams out of his eyes like some kind <laughs> of goddamn living saint. <laughs> um, <laughs> Superman. <laughs> Superman, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh Typhus and his Blightlord Terminator Guard managed to survive along with a large complement of demon engines and uh essentially stalled them. Um and managed to get a managed to get a line out to his men in orbit. The plague ships, Filthmonger, Vermi and Curse and Leopard's Blood had managed to regroup and drive back the Brazen Drake ships. Um but can't can't go after the remaining Brazen Drake ships. No, you have to form a blockade so that we can get off the planet successfully. Um, <clears throat> however, uh, with the aid of basically orbital bombardment and targeted lasers and plague bombs just falling out of the sky, the Death Guard managed to sort of herd the Tirada into a kill box uh, and then unleash tons of Poxwalkers to gunk up the, uh, the fight, effectively. But... Oh, as we know already, Bile and uh, the Enlightener didn't intend this as like a fight to the death for their part of it. Um, and so the actually important people got to fall back while all the crazed mutants Bile had made uh, did the actual fighting. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> and uh, successful mission, honestly. Pretty successful. Sounds it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so with that immediate threat staved off, there was sort of a window of time in which the Shriven and Bile could gather their strength, plan their next moves. Uh, they'd outmaneuvered and outfought Typhus himself, the Herald of Nurgle, so they're doing pretty well. Um, <laughs> and they saw how fiercely Bile's creations fought, so they were willing to sort of gloss over how awfully the Tirada had died, uh, and Bile found himself with no, willing, no shortage of willing test subjects as warband upon warband of these renegade marines uh, took to his uh, lab to get get their sweet upgrades. Um, the Enlightener was less happy, but also extremely, extremely addicted. Uh, but while he couldn't, couldn't gainsay anything Bile said, he could prove that he was still in charge. Uh, and so, learning from auguries and other demonic whispers that the Imperial Retribution Force was only a short distance away... Uh, the enemies had halted in the Bayless Corona system and were currently in orbit over the world of Bairston Prime. Corey uh, announced <clears throat> that he was not going to be a coward, that he was not going to cower and wait for his enemies to beard him in his lair. Instead, he took all but the most essential guard forces, along with Bio as well, 
and made way for that system. It's going to catch the custodies at their own game. <laughs> uh, Shield Captain Tyva had led the Torchbearers through the Nakwing Gauntlet, through the fringes of Warzone Vigilus, and into the very rim of the Eye of Terror. Uh, unfortunately, he had hoped to refit at the naval docks at Bellis Corona, but the fortress there was beset by many enemies, because everywhere in the Imperium is currently under attack. But, uh, you know, it's fine. They settled into high orbits over Bastion Prime instead of Bellis Corona, uh, and uh, instead of finding a Duralium mining world with a Tech Magi council running it, uh, the world was completely abandoned. Whatever had happened there uh, was unclear, but repeating warnings uh, over every Vox frequency told everyone to avoid this cursed world in the Omniscia's name. Uh, Taiva didn't want to heed that, though. There's plenty of raw materials. They can do their own repairs. And uh, so he led his forces down to the surface. At this point... The Enlightener's fleet tore their way through the warp and uh, caught them in the middle of repairs. Not great timing for the Imperium. Um, <clears throat> he wasn't interested in the ships. His quarry was on the planet below because he'd sworn in front of his, all his warriors that he would slay this custodian captain in single combat. Right? Um, yeah. Yeah, this is what you've got to do. You've got to prove you're large and in charge, especially when Fabius Bile is like, given all your guys sick upgrades and they really like him and they think he's really cool and half of them are addicted to his pain medications. Um, yeah. Uh, so they swept down with a massive assault, met with ferocious anti-aircraft fire because the custodians had managed to wake up the servitor crews and man the, uh, the defences on the ground. Um, but there were enough landing pads with custodians uh, custodians defending them. But really, custodians are good, but numbers are still a thing. Uh, so the custodians were eventually forced to fall back as the uh, Shriven began making their landings. Um, Vile hung back, sort of just hang, hanging out on the landing pad with a whole <laughs> bunch of his uh, whole bunch of his Tirada, uh, while the Enlightener and his men went first. Proved himself very right there because uh, on a narrow bridge they were attacked by a squad of Virtus Praetors. Uh, and uh, instead, Bile was fine. Bile was all good. Um, the Enlightener was not happy, doing crazy psychic stuff all over the place, hurling furious psychic energies, smiting left and right, presumably. Uh, loves a again, good smiting. Oh, loves a good smiting. Um, again, Bile keeps hanging back, watching how um, Corian and the Chosen go in their assault against um, the Custodians, and it turns out the um, the Sisters of Silence are there as well, hmm. um, which obviously doesn't make Corian very happy. He's a massively powerful Psyker, and now there's nulls all over the place. Um, the attack could have faltered then and there, but Bile hissed the order, and altered warriors and flesh-twisted bikers pulled their way to the fore with Bile in their midst, and hurled themselves at the outnumbered foe. The Imperium, forced to fall back, did so in relatively good order, uh, and the Enlightener was pretty happy. He'd, he'd got a decent beachhead there, and so broke up his surviving warriors into smaller warbands supported by obliterators and demon engines, watching for further traps as they sort of pushed forward in slow pursuit of the Imperial forces, just watching for traps. They're chaos. They know about traps. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. They're the experts of that. We know that. <clears throat> Yeah. Uh, Bile, however, decided to split off from the main advance, go do his own thing, and the Enlightener was pretty happy to see him go. Uh, just basically the only order he gave him was stay out of his way, um, and Bile was very happy because this was his chance 
to nab some uh, some good specimens for his work. Um, so while the Shriven and the uh, Deptus Custodes fight back and forth throughout these massive refineries, um, the Enlightener and his men basically go absolutely apeshit. They go to town, they're unable to restrain themselves, hurl themselves up against custodians, null maidens, contempt of dreadnoughts, and land raiders all at the same time. Um, and, as the fighting raged on, no one saw a dark figure crouching amidst the rusting walkways of a macro silo a mile away. Um, <laughs> essentially, uh, the fighting's going on. Bile manages to find a single custodian warden, uh, basically out on patrol looking for potential ambushes with just an understrength squad of uh, Sisters of Silence. Um, and uh, off go the Tirada, and uh, instead of killing this custodian uh, and the various Sisters of Silence, Bile was aiming to capture them, and capture them he did. Hooray! Bile has custodians to work on now. <laughs> Fun times. Um so, now he's got what he actually came for. Uh, he headed back to go see how the Enlightener was doing, and uh, got there just in time to see him basically in the middle of uh, crushing Shield Captain Tyvar to death with his brain, uh, at which point the sound of a gunshot went off and a massive bullet went straight through the Enlightener's head. Love me a Vindicare assassin. Always a good time. Uh, and that turned it into a bloody rout. Bile's men grabbed the body of the Enlightener, made a retreat. At this point, things are looking a little rougher for the group. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the seers serving the Shriven wailed of two foes drawn closer with every passing hour. Uh, the warband beseeched Fabius of Bile to lead them, while others muttered that he'd already done more than enough for them. Um, Bile was pretty happy. He got a fair few good uh, good subjects now, some good specimens. Now he just needed to escape with them. Uh, so he gathered, gathered the Shriven within the Enlightener's throne room and spoke of his desire to see these invaders crushed. He could do it, but not without their complete loyalty. Um, the surviving Chosen obviously couldn't take this insult, accused the rest of their warband of being duped, called him an opportunist ghoul, cursed the day he came to them, laid the Enlightener's death at the, uh, his feet, at which point Bar smiles and goes, Ah, but he is not dead. <laughs> <laughs> Um, because Bile took the body of the Enlightener, um, scooped out what was left of his brain, uh, and, uh, somehow got him moving again. <laughs> Seriously, this is crazy science at this point. Beyond <laughs> Frankenstein, there's no brain in there, and despite there being no brain, he is still massively powerful in terms of, like, psychic strength, which makes almost zero sense to Bile. Like, how can he be a psychic? There's no brain to generate psychic energy. Violet's the soul. The soul is the source. <laughs> no, it's he's real. got he's got his science. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um obviously the chosen were really unhappy with this, went for Bile, at which point um the Enlightener annihilated them with beams of psychic fire, and the rest of the warband gave him gave Bile their absolute loyalty. <laughs> because who wouldn't <laughs> if they saw that? Um right. We gotta, we gotta prepare for a siege. Demolish the outer defenses. Make a field of rubble. Fill it with booby traps. Fill it with cultists. Stand firm in the middle of the fortress, and then I'll unleash my master stroke, which will be uh, modified hell drakes that will belch neurotoxins across the nice. battlefield. Of course, because Bile's worked on upgrading you, you'll be immune, so you'll be fine. But it'll absolutely disable the Death Guard and the Adeptus Custodes. 
100%. Drive them into a murderous frenzy and they'll kill each other. Uh, people were pretty good with this plan. Sounds like a good plan, honestly. Uh, and so everyone gets to work. Meanwhile, uh, Typhus appears in orbit. Uh, he'd been raiding nearby systems to repair ships. He'd been recruiting cultists from seven different worlds and added thousands upon thousands of Pox Walkers to replace the ones lost at uh, the previous fight. Um, they, the Shriven ships attempted to use the night fields to ambush them again, but uh, Typhus was wise to this and used psychic tracking effectively across the fleet to um, keep an eye on these hidden ships. And when they were finally about to attack, it turns out the Death Guard fleet knew they were there all along, shot them out of, the, out of orbit, uh, lost to a man. <clears throat> Death Guard forces landed. Obviously, uh, turns out booby traps are less effective when you can send in a million pox walkers as the first wave. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> you know, not going to lose valuable death guards to that. Uh, and behind them, bands of plague marines were escorting various artillery pieces. Trudging infantry made, uh, made for this yawning rent in the fortress walls. But there, the Enlighteners puppet corpse and, uh, the shriven warband counterattacked furiously. This, of course, was all but a distraction as Typhus and his Terminators teleported right into the heart of the fortress. Uh, Bar was alerted to this by the servitor guns going off and uh, various demonic guard entities going absolutely nuts. Uh, he had laboured at his great works up to the last moment, but was uh, now concerned that his, his desire to keep experimenting might have trapped him here. Uh, but it's fine. Put everything on the anti-grav <laughs> platforms, start wheeling them out of here, get to the escape pods, uh, and activate the latest batch of altered warriors as the final line of defence. Off they go. Uh, now, as the battle raged over the uh, over the entire complex, the Adeptus Custodes finally showed up. Um, they landed in low behind the uh, rear lines of the Death Guard, essentially catching them between the uh, Brazen Drakes and their own forces, uh, and took out uh, the various bits of Death Guard artillery in the back lines, mostly Mephitic Blight Haulers and Plate Burst Crawlers. Uh, with the enemy gun silenced, uh, they started hacking their way through the besieging horde to where the Enlightener is. Because again, their chief goal is to get rid of this one guy. And uh, they thought they did it, but it turns out they didn't, so they really got to get rid of him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, meanwhile, a pair of Imperial gunships drew level with uh, the upper levels of this fortress. Discord, Shield Captain Tyver, uh, and two full squads of Alaris Terminators into the halls, uh, they were looking for Fabius Bile, and uh, several of Tyvar's custodians had gone missing in the past battle. He was really concerned about that. Minutes later, uh, Fabius Bile emerged from his laboratory right into the middle of a gunfight between Typhus's Terminators and the Custodian Terminators. <laughs> um, so uh, Bile didn't lose a moment, walked right in, started beating people left and right with Torment, his uh, wonderful little demon weapon rod, shooting with his uh, toxic rounds from his needler, putting down even uh, Blightlord Terminators with its vicious toxins. Uh, and seeing Bar was about to escape, uh, Typhus went after him, but got locked off by a bulkhead at the last second. Very sad. And I uh, had to fight a uh, shield captain and a bunch of custodians. This is not, uh, not Typhus' ideal, so instead he used warp sorcery to turn into a cloud of flies and escape. <laughs> his fallback all the time, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'll just Woo! use magic. My job here is done. <laughs> uh, the Enlighteners, Berserk Warriors, had uh, torn and blasted so many foes, there was mountains of dead, of the dead around. Um, at this point, the execution force struck. A rifle round uh, snapped towards him, but 
he wasn't going to fall for the same trick twice. His head snapped up and he obliterated the Vindicare's bullet midair with psychic energy. Uh, the psychic energy roared back up the bullet's trajectory following it and completely destroyed the Vindicare. Um, it's lots of fun. Uh, a Kalidus emerged from amongst the Enlighteners' cultists, uh, shredded a whole bunch of Tarada, and uh, swept a face sword around, at which point she stabbed the Enlightener, and uh, he backhanded her so hard he broke her neck. <laughs> <laughs> After which, a Culexus assassin showed up, um, sort of beginning to shut down his psychic powers, and an Eversaur assassin showed up, because we're doing, like I said, full-on execution force here. <laughs> um, and uh, as the Culexus suppressed his psychic powers, the Eversaur tore into him, blew off his hand with a bolt round, and then just tore his face off. <laughs> but he snapped the Eversaur's neck. Which point, um, the Enlightener was like, yes, I've won, I've done it. And uh thing about Eversaur's... If you kill them, all the drugs in their system are likely to, like, combine poorly and cause them to literally explode. Yeah. Uh, which is what this did. D3 mortal wounds? What is that? He had one wound left? Mm. <laughs> Awkward. Um, at this point, the um, Kilexas vanished into the anarchy of the conflict, uh, but their job was done. Uh, less than a quarter of the Deptus Custodian's forces remained to link up within the fortress and purge the remaining horrors within. Uh, once the Death Guard learned that Typhus had made his retreat, they, disgusted with uh, all of this nonsense, also retreated. Um, and with their target slain, but their comrades lost to Bar's clutches, Shield Captain Typhus, I believe it was a central that word of what they had witnessed would find its way back to Imperial authorities. As for Bile, he wasn't seen again. His ship had slipped away, ghosting through the orbital debris fields in the last flickering exchanges of the Void War before punching into the warp space and making good its escape. He had work to do elsewhere. Hmm. <laughs> that's, that sums him up. Oh, I've got work to do. Yeah. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that one. I think that's one of my favourite of mm, all the books. It's oh, really it's so good. good. So good. Uh, anything with Fabi Spa. Mwah. Chef's yeah. kiss. Excellent. <laughs> Well, All right. here we are. We've got one mm. more to go. Number nine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> Psychic Awakening. We're finally there on the last one. We're on Pariah, the most recent of all. So uh, let's talk about the Indominus Crusade. Very topical at the moment, obviously. It's the, the main thing going on. So Fleet Primus was the uh, the largest slash most powerful of the Crusade. Uh, consisting of 26 battle groups, basically led oh, by wow. Gilliman and Call, <laughs> with its size and power <laughs> deliberate. I, it was it was deliberately to, that powerful because basically it was there to stabilize the whole of Imperial, uh, sorry, Imperium Sanctus. So most of the force was you know dealing with threats close to Terra in Segmentum Solar, but some of the mm. battle groups would push on out with their own missions as part of the overall plan. So this is where battle group uh, like Erastus is an example. Uh, it would stop uh, heretic cults, summoning warp breaches, or you got uh, battle group Noctus, which headed for Armageddon on a secret mission. Um, I want to know what that ended up being, I must admit. Um, mm. But the, uh, the the one group that was larger than that, and it had quite a strange path ahead, was battle group uh, Kalidus. Uh, now, mm. as you would imagine, 
most of the main fleet had to deal with demons, heretic, astartes, plagues and the like since the Great Rift opened and got worse the further they went out into the soul system. Uh, this was no different for Kalidus, um, as it was, it basically used short warp jumps to, to effect and i to minimize risk you know i to come across mm. uh, heretic astartes as little as possible um but their main mission was to travel to the now very silent uh nephilim subsector now this silence and lack of cries for help really disturbed the command of the crusade he's like this isn't right <laughs> uh, and the possible threat you know, really couldn't be ignored. Uh, maybe the Noctus Eterna was blocking their contact for some reason, or maybe or all Imperial life had been wiped out there. <laughs> they really didn't know. So uh, led by Imperial Navy Captain Groupmaster Marin, or also known as the Bullgrox, that's his nickname, if you ever want to know, mm. uh, with various <laughs> Marines from the Ultramarines, Black Templars, and the Death Watch. Uh, there was also various nobles and princeps, and also, quite importantly, Inquisitor Lord Kyria Draxus. Very topical, mm. as we know who she is. Uh, so as they got to the edge of the system, scouts reported mayhem and revolt. People were not actually rejecting the Emperor or turning to chaos, but they actually wanting to escape from something. Uh, and he's... And, he's, and this included various Xenos raiders fighting with such intensity to get far away as well. So, you know, Xenos and these planets will, like, everyone wants to get away from something. So they, they basically aided these outer planets as they could, you know, to, to restore some sort of order. Uh, but the main bulk of the battle group travelled towards the source of the silence, uh, passing by drifting relays and stations, uh, getting themselves ready for what was about to happen. Um, on an aside here, uh, on the way to the zone of silence, uh, the battle group had been joined by quite a divisive character, uh, Ephriel Stern. <laughs> uh, she had been ba- basically aiding her battle system, sisters on uh, Severitas uh, against the word bearers. Now, after seeing their plight via a, a vision she had, so she successfully led them to victory and, and decided to join the Indomitus Crusade to basically help out however she could. Um, however, she, at this point, she was getting quite troubled by her visions because they were getting a bit more dire and her Eldari companion, uh, Kaganil hadn't returned. Uh, so yeah, so now they've got only Stern with them as well now. Whoa, power level up. So, uh, right. So upon nearing the silent zone, uh, Kledus's, uh, navigators could sense a, a veil of psychic energy around it. So, uh, Marin, the group master had been tasked by, Gilliman himself to investigate the area uh, and would not listen to any of any tech magi or superstitious advisors about what lay behind. Um, because ultimately he'd been ordered to go there. They're going to push through the veil and find out what's going on. So the various psychers in the battle group had different interpretations of this region, uh, such as the warp becoming unnaturally still or the warp being trapped behind a wall. It was that sort of feeling. Uh, So Marin ordered the group to spread out and push towards various systems within the area, uh, which brought on strange events like navigators and astropaths were struggling to use their powers uh, did you oh, that sort of thing, you know, <laughs> uh, warp engines were struggling. Um, same again, actually, um, that noise works for both. Um, and uh, with the flagship hammer blow, uh, being compared to a June yacht on Mars with no wind. 
So there's an analogy for you. <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, so Gallifields fields on some of the ships burst apart, but no demons to speak uh, were made, you know, were, it was making it even stranger. So the traveling was becoming more difficult due to these events as the Vox officers desperately were trying to find signs of human life with the only sound being of automated machine spirits. That sounds really weird. Imagine having all these sort of communications and you just got these beeps and, and like machine spirits, but nothing else. It was just really bizarre. It sounds, yeah, weird. Mm. And uh, there was no traffic in space, uh, but strange energy pulses were coming from certain Imperial worlds. So when they first landed on one of the silent planets, uh, Astromedtarum troops complained of anxiety, then eventually tiredness and despair, uh, with the commissars really kept quite busy as troops kept running away from their <laughs> posts. Um, it was even worse for psychers because uh, they were complaining of like a smothered feeling uh, with some going mad or even killing themselves. Mm. So the remaining psychers were given bodyguards. Uh, so as the navigator sort of astropath contingent as part of the battle group was actually getting really low. So they, so they had to have these bodyguards stop, you know, topping themselves basically. So this event or this sort of unnatural thing that was going on became known as the stilling. Um, and it's, mm. and it even affected, you know, space Marines, knights, admec uh, they were more resistant to it but they were still slightly affected by it with really only the uh, battle sisters being the ones quite untouched by this so as you'd imagine morale was quite hampered by this uh, especially across these different worlds um when they they came down because it was empty cities it was dead servitors meals halfway eaten as if abandoned it was a really really mm. eerie sort of situation for all the, the battle group. So you had signs of shuttle crashes as they, as, as if they just dropped out the sky, you had uh, damp fire damage as plasma generators had just exploded. Is it was, as if it's just millions of people had literally just, just disappeared. So Lord Inquisitor Draxus was tasked with working out what had happened. And basically if it linked with what was happening to the battle group itself. So she started reviewing vid logs and data, um, you know, but he didn't really give her anything. They were either corrupted or had been erased. So they didn't know really what to do. So um, now we've got mentioned the, the Mesmoc pylon. So as the Imperial forces moved on, they were being watched by Necrons. Uh, spoiler. Um, watching, <laughs> but not but not striking, though. So they were just being watched with the data being sent back to Illuminor Saras. Saras, I think that's pronounced it. Um, yeah. uh, carefully, he watched as the Imperials dealt with the... Oh, right, here we go. So he, this is the name of the device, the Contra Immaterian Nodal Matrix. Um, <laughs> that's basically what was causing the problem for the, uh, for the Imperial forces. But the Necron still held back. So on Mesmoc, our Ultramarines Vanguard forces came across a Blackstone pylon. Uh, it was miles big. You literally couldn't see the top of it. So whilst moving through the jungles, and they basically immediately knew it, it was Necrons. Uh, the Necron defenders let the Ultramarines escape as per their protocols, because again, they were just told to, to watch and observe. Um, but even they had realised that they had to act now as sort of the game was up, you know, because obviously the, the Imperials had found the source of what was causing the problems. So 
Groupmaster Marin got word of several pylons, all varying in various appearances, uh, and reports of Necrons moving from different positions and beginning to attack the battle group. So despite the morale issues of his of the forces, uh, Marin knew that the Mesmoc pylon was a target and began to assault it, which initially didn't go that well. So because with the warp drive problems they've been having, they only had so many ships that managed to get to the meeting port point. And then obviously Necron started appearing as well. So mm. several Imperial warships were taken down, but uh, before getting to Mesmok as the Necron started to attack, but soon the Imperial forces had Ultramarines, Black Templars, Death Watch, Imperial armor, and even a Warlord Titan uh, beginning mm. the fight back. So Necron warriors flooded out, you know, with their gauze techs, bolters were fly, you know, firing everywhere. All weapons were being unloaded. Uh, mm. And even an Apocalypse-class battleship attacked the pylon. Uh, but after it fired, the pylon was still completely undamaged, which obviously mm. was a bit disheartening for him. <laughs> uh, so obviously this went to ground attack. Ground attack seemed the only way forward, but the Astra Militarum forces were struggling despite having Space Marines with them. And the Necrons were taken advantage by unleashing monoliths and doomsday barges and the like. So with the Imperial forces taking such heavy losses, the Space Marines had to get to a point where they were defending uh, the, the contingent there uh, as they all fell back uh, with blank, the Black Templars uh, helping to save the Titan that they had with them because it had been wounded. Uh, the Imperial forces went back to their extraction zones with basically huge losses and realised a loss like this really couldn't happen again. So after the defeat at Mesmoc, the losses on other battlefields and the draining effect of the Necron weapons, uh, battle group Kalidus was smarting really. And it was sort of on the brink really. It was sort of desperate times for it. So Marin composed himself, sent word of backup from, uh, his, to his outer forces, uh, in which via psychic means was pretty much useless because it was compared to shouting in a wind, but coming out as a wheeze, um, <laughs> is the way it's described. So they had to use the old fashioned messenger ships instead because it was the only way oh. to do it. So the battle group was suffering losses on other worlds, you know, with the Necron numbers and the alliance of many dynasties coming together, taking its toll on the Imperial forces. Uh, the only good thing going for them at that point was the identification of the pylons, which was causing the draining effect on the region, uh, which was now given the name Pariah Nexus and compared oh. to the mutants such as Nulls uh, and how they can affect others. Morale was basically an, at an all-time low and something needed to be done. So this is where a frail stern comes to the situation. She comes to Marin. Uh, we talk of a morale-boosting counterattack uh, on a Necron transportation hub on the world of Sherist. Uh, so, rather, so rather than going for the pylons, let's go for this transportation hub because basically it would cut off all the Necron forces to the other areas if it was dealt with. So Marin could see the benefits of this uh plus the battle sisters seem to be resistant the nulling effects of the pylons um especially compared to space marines uh and placed his faith in her plan uh i mean considering the location of cherist uh, stern and her task force would be too far away from the rest of the battle group to call for aid so it was sort of a you need to pull this off you're not getting any backup if you don't basically mm. um so she led order the orders of Armated Lady and Bloody Rose, uh, along with other Imperial forces, because um, they would have to deal with also Arctic conditions as well. So Stern took her invasion cathedrals. Right, invasion invasion cathedrals. These are flying churches. All right. Oh boy. So cool. So she took them to the South Pole, 
uh, of the of the planet aiming for the dolmen gate there with help from uh, knights from house morton so they faced basically a city-sized complex set around the base of a mountain with lots of defenses as you'd imagine quantum shielding around the gates mm. uh, a lot of resistance so adding to this the only viable route involved going through ruined imperial, um, imperial buildings allowing attack from all sides so it was a bit of a risky gamble but they sort of had to do it so stern used the cathedrums to target the mountain itself rather than the shielding because basically by attacking the mountain huge rocks and avalanches started happening which in turn would take out the necron structures and start burying them um, which, you know, the dastardly Necrons wouldn't have a clue about dealing with. So the Necrons <laughs> responded with their weapon weapon pylons, defense, you know, barrages, uh, and lots of obviously Necron warriors taking out many of the Imperial uh, units and flyers. But then the Imperial landers come down, Seraphin and Ze- Zephyrim uh, launching out of uh, invasion c- uh, cathedrums uh, via the side of the mountain so at this point stern led two and a half thousand battle sisters up the valley cool. in the snow with braziers <laughs> and hymns you know inspiring the thousands of astra militarum mm. despite obviously the dread of this stilling effect that they were dealing with yeah. um so Feron uh shemvok of the of the necrons uh of this particular garrison responded with outrage how dare they how dare these humans come along uh with their hymns and such like um and basically took to his command battle barge to deal with this invasion so necron warriors tomb blades their heavy war machines rampaged through the imperial lines you know battle sisters were getting annihilated guardsmen tanks mm. all of it so meanwhile shemvok led his, his lich guard to the uh to tear through the tanks as well so as stern was watching this uh hoping mm. her visions would come true and that Kaiganil would arrive with Yanari support. If you remember, they approached Yuvrain yeah. uh, right yeah. at the start about if they needed help. Uh, hence why she was t- attacking an area where the webway and real space connected. Uh, but as the gates opened, it was more Necrons rather than Yanari. Yay. Uh, yay! Good times, everyone. Um, but as things were looking grim, the central Dolmen Gate exploded with such force uh, and the Imperium forces cheered, even inspiring Stern showing that the Imperium can win this war and not have to rely on Xenos' help. And then it happened. Power enveloped Stern as she rose into the air in the middle of battle uh, with fire and lightning. Her power unleashed inspired her fellow soldiers, uh, awoke those affected by the stilling even, and certainly gave uh, Shemvok some doubt, just realising that it was holy faith, not warp magic, that was making her immune to their devices. Her energy lashed out and out to was a uh, taken was a dolmen gate as well so two of them were down mm-hmm. um so the necrons tried to fight back but the intense and valiant fighting the imperial forces overwhelmed them with stern and uh, kaiganil uh who had returned with no unari uh dueling with shemvok uh, and finally overcoming him and Lichgard with faith and fury um mm-hmm. with their command gone the necrons could not cope as the last dolmen gate was destroyed with with, I love this, with point-blank fire from knights. Let's just shoot it up close. Um, it showed that the Imperium had a weapon that could fight back against the Necrons, and that was Faith. Mm. So, right, let's round this up now as they go into the tomb. So, after the Sheriff's victory, the battle group bolstered its ranks with battle sisters, black Templars, and preachers, <laughs> knowing that really, you know, using Faith as a weapon was the way forward. Um, 
Sheras and the Cryptex uh, interrogated humans to find out how they were resisting the contra immaterian nodal matrix. God, should they give that an easier name? Um, and dismiss their notions of faith and miracles, basically knowing, you know, especially what the Necrons mm-hmm. thought of their gods. They just literally couldn't comprehend that faith could be used in this way. So war raged on in various other areas with the Imperial forces making a stand and defying the Pariah Nexus. Uh, still slightly affected, but they were coping a bit better with it now, which basically allowed messenger ships to get out of the area and come back with quite frenzied reinforcements <laughs> full of preachers and such like. But uh, despite this, none of the Necron pylons had been damaged through this war so far or even understood. So basically Lord Inquisitor Draxus decided needed to find out. So looking through all the reports and all the, the pick feeds and the footage, um, that they had, which basically had been brought back by a single unit of Tempestus Skyons. So her next move was to go to the Tredica system where there's basically three worlds when all three worlds had a pylon on each of them. Um, uh-huh. And where they were all out of that, because basically all these three worlds were out of their normal orbit. They were basically sort of drawn towards this night black artifact in space. So basically what she did is take uh, Death Watch, Black Templars, Sisters of Battle, uh, and anyone else basically that she could use and as well as some tech magi uh, to not go to destroy the pylons necessarily, but to actually try to understand them. But there was a secret that basically the Skyons that had, um, had uh, escaped had been implanted with Necron mine shackle scarabs before leaving mm-hmm. where Seras believing whichever humans came to Tredica would be important for getting answers. So, but Draxus knew the effects of the scarabs from previous times, hence why she brought them someone that would baffle the Necrons, and that was Stern. So they basically travelled to the system, losing one ship on the way, but they and had various skirmishes with Necrons, but once that once they were there, they had a plan. So basically the Black Templars would go to Tredica uh, Decator, the uh, Depth of Soratas would go to Dr- uh, Tredica Fortis, and once they got word of Necrons heading to those two areas, the real goal was getting to Tredica uh, uh, Ardaxis, which was where Draxus would go. So basically, they were sort of deviating the Necrons to the two other planets while they went to the main one, um, which turned out to be the largest of the three, always, um, had the biggest enemy re- um, energy reading and where the, uh, where the Imperial Guard had escaped from previously. So the planet was basically a shell of its former self, Thanks to the Necrons, it was once a prosperous hive world, now basically a mass grave with a damaged atmosphere. So Draxus managed to slip in past the Necron defences in her ships, uh, in her ship, sorry, uh, which is called Paladin Shadow, to get to the middle of the three pylons on the world. Uh, it's quite great. One of the pylons was in Frozen Night, the other one in Scorched Day, and one right in the middle. Mm. It's, like, it's like the three piggies. Um, so the the so by going for that middle one. Um, she managed to get there by using Eldari uh, Holofield uh, tech. Um, mm. Or maybe were they just letting her in? Um, it's a bit like that Thousand Sun thing from earlier. <laughs> like, yeah, just let them in. Um, so basically they settled in orbit a couple of miles away because uh, basically this, py- this pylon was so large, it literally went into the void. It was that big. Um, as getting too close brought forward a really massive surge of the stilling. So, Gunships went down, dropping the various factions from within the task force. Then the Necron trap was sprung. So Doom and Night Size came out of green portals and mortals, etc., appeared on the ground to make their way towards the Imperial forces. Um, and then obviously, uh, Saras had spotted Draxus as the instigator of this attack 
So refusing to surrender and not being surprised by the Necron attack because the footage that uh, Drax has seen was, you know, she understood the area a bit better. So basically what they were targeting was these teleportation gates that were dotted around the place. And she had sort of guessed mm. how they worked by, by getting some help from the tech Magi. So basically the Imperial yeah. forces bolted towards the nearest gate. So the idea was that, uh, you know, despite get some transports getting crippled uh, on the way, they pushed towards the, the portal uh, they drop down the tech, tech magi to deal with the machine spirit at the at the portal. Uh, at this point, Saras got involved in the fight directly, but couldn't stop the portal being activated. With Draxus and her troops basically vanishing through the portal, so it's not like of a movie. Like, yeah, just get the portal working, and then and then they disappear through it. Um, and then as they disappear through the portal, the Death Watch used explosives to seal any pursuit. So they had teleported mm-hmm. into what they guest was the structures around the base of the pylons and basically they were looking for nemetic crystals in which necrons basically stored their knowledge so they had to fight their way through naturally through you know uh, various defenses and necron warriors and and both sides took heavy losses so stern took up the charge and took the forces towards a chamber with a, a figure of living flame screaming in energy oh look it was a katan shard um so the necron defenses kicked in again with De- uh with death watch and sisters of battle covering draxus uh and the tech magi while they were trying to obtain the crystals they came for um st- which were actually near the shard itself so the imperial forces held back the necrons whilst they were struggling you know uh due to reanim- you know soldiers reanimating mm. and such yeah. like uh i mean even with stern and everyone helping the cause they were really struggling uh, things looked even tougher as uh, war machines came to the fight for the Necrons. Uh, Death Watch and you know, Sister Battle were ripped apart by you know, Doomsday Arcs and such like, uh, pushing the Imperials back on their heels. Uh, Draxus managed somehow managed to get the crystals, but saw her forces backed into a corner and realised a fighting retreat was off the table. But luckily, mm-hmm. luck was on their side. Uh, you know, she did she did mm-hmm. the one thing she could. She freed the Catan Shard. By smashing the machinery oh. u- around it using her power fist, so <laughs> that's it. It's like <laughs> smashing case of Catan uh, shard needed. Uh, it was <laughs> it was what she did. Uh, so basically, as she opened her eyes, uh, because at this point she was uh, being pointed at by the Catan, you know, because obviously the Catan uh, started fighting the Necrons, but as I said pointed its fingers directly at her. And obviously she sort of prepared herself to die. But, um, mm. upon opening her eyes, um, she was back on her cruiser along with all of her troops. <laughs> and basically the Katana clearly saved them by teleporting all of them back to her ship. Yeah. Um, yeah. obviously she sort of thought, well, I better, I better analyze this, but I will do that at a later time. Um, and decided to head back to the rest of the battle group with hopefully the information they needed. Mm. So that was Pariah, everyone. Cool. And that is Psychic Awakening, all nine we books. We did it. Yeah. Oh, man. Wow. Who says there isn't <laughs> new stuff in the law? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. Quite the epic saga. Quite yeah. the epic saga. <laughs> it is. But hopefully now that is giving you all listening that uh, a good idea of what <laughs> what went down in all the various books. Um, yeah, it's it's good. Like I said, there's some there's some really good stuff in the books. You know, there's some there's some you know run of the mill bits as well. But yeah, a lot of it is really there's some really cool bits 
that you can pick out from these books. Um, so, yeah, we hope you've enjoyed that after four-plus hours of <laughs> talking about it. Uh, Right, we're going to take a very needed break because uh, we are going to have a discussion topic at the end, It's uh, we promised. So uh, get yes. out that hammer. Dang, dang, dang. We're going to a certain <laughs> anvil and talking about our <laughs> custom characters. Yeah. <laughs> Back shortly. Welcome back. Discussion topic time. Mm. Uh, nice to now talk about something that isn't psychic awakening. Um, yes. <laughs> <many hours. laughs> Very much so. <laughs> <laughs> so we're switching it over to the, the mortal realms uh, to do the Anvil of Apotheosis. So obviously this was the thing that came out with the most recent General's Handbook uh, mm. and it seems to be one of the most popular things that's come from this yes. book. And uh, I think it's inspired a lot of people. So basically this mm. is the the little bit in the book where you can basically make custom characters, obviously predominantly for mm. open and narrative play, but they've even included uh, how to play it in match play as well. If everyone, you know, agrees to it basically and, and such yeah. like, so, yeah. uh, so it, obviously it's perfect for us on this show to, to be able to sort of, you know, design a character and very tempted mm. to do a model of them, maybe later down the line. So, so yeah, <laughs> so what we're going to do is, uh, like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the characters that we've we've made uh what we're going to do first of all is discuss the different steps to making the character i making their mm. war scroll because again the way that this sort of system works is there's six steps to making your character uh so we'll go through the steps and then at the end we'll talk about sort of like a little brief background mm. you know history of our character and sort of where they come from so right so let's start with uh, number one. So obviously the first point yeah. you need to do is to set a destiny point limit for your hero. Mm. So yeah. the two options are 20 or 40. Um, which yes. one did you go for? Uh, for my beautiful little boy, I went for 40. Uh, Whoa, greedy, sir. Greedy. He's loaded. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So that's good. You've got mm. a 40. I've got a 20. Um, yeah. I mean, for context, the, the sort of point of these uh, destiny points is obviously it's it's the amount of points you can use to, to build your character. Everything's got um, mm. uh, points allocated to it. But also the, the biggest impact it'll have um, is the fact that when you want to use them in match play or narrative play mm. from uh from a points perspective you basically is it times it by 10 i think is the yeah the way you do yeah. it so so potentially mine is up to 200 point character cameron's greedy and can go up to a 400 <laughs> point character um i want but, this character know, to be ridiculous yeah and, that, and that's the whole point of this you can make them as over or underpowered within reason as much as possible um but so that's cool so we've got two different points limits so okay so then uh, step number two is to choose the ancestry of your hero. Mm. So basically this is effectively their, their race or faction yeah. uh, on this. Yeah. Again, all, all have got different points. You know, you could be like an elf at three points. You could be a dragon mm. ogre at 10 points. So, uh, so mm. Cameron, who, what did you go for? I went with a skink. Oh yeah. Little, nice. little skinky boy. I wanted. I wanted to make the world's most expensive skink hero. <laughs> <laughs> He's definitely not worth his points. Put it that way. But God, if he if he rolls well, he'll destroy anything. Um, <laughs> yeah. Cool. Cool. Uh, I mean, so yours. Is, so your um, ancestry would be four points for a skink. Yes. Uh, yeah. I've picked a stormcast eternal at five points. 
Uh, it com- comes with a good, and that gives you basically a, mm. a base stat line, doesn't it? So I think yes. in the case of yours, you'd have an eight inch move, six plus save, uh, four six wounds and, and six yeah. bravery. Yeah. And um, mine is five inch move, four plus save, five wounds, eight bravery. Okay. And also mm. it does give you the various keywords for yes. your character as well. So mm. uh, look, looking at yours, you have order, Seraphon, Skink and Hero. Uh, yep. I have order, uh, celestial human stormcast eternals and hero so it's quite cool that it gives you the various keywords yeah. as well so that's the that's the ancestry uh right number three uh this is one of the cool bits that you get to equip your hero with weapons from the armory mm. now yes. what did you go for camera <clears throat> i took a hand bow and an improvised weapon the hand bow representing a blowpipe and the improvised weapon representing a sacrificial knife nice that's cool. Oh, very yeah. thematic. So again, you get uh, a choice basically for heroes. So you can have mm. one, one, one handed melee weapon, two, one handed ones, one, one handed melee weapon and shield. You can have one, two handed melee weapon, one hand bow and one, one handed melee weapon or one bow and one, one handed melee weapon. Again, you yes. can, um, pretty much have within reason, have what you want of those. Obviously they have base stat lines, um and base points as well um which is cool mm. i think the only real restriction is the uh shield which uh no malignant can have basically yeah. but everyone else no ghosts shield. with shields yeah <laughs> yeah that, that's that's not fair i know poor ghost everyone else can get to a two up ethereal save why can't the ghost <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> keep it fair everyone um so i i went for a scythe a two-handed scythe because i thought yeah i want to see a stormcast with a two-handed scythe um, that's fair. but that gets badass yeah. points. Um, so uh, number four on the uh, to-do list is you pick an archetype. Mm. Now there's yes. basically three for this, which is to basically cover the three bases, so to speak. So you've got commander, so that's your basic, you know, fighty hero type, really, your mm. inspirational yeah. one. Uh, you've got acolyte, which is basically turning your character into a priest, or you can have mage, which obviously turns him into a wizard. Again, there's certain mm. restrictions, like you can't have a corn wizard, you can't have a, a demon priest, and things like that. But um, So what did you go for, Cameron? Uh, I went for a commander with the lead the attack command ability, which I have retitled Destroy the Invaders! Yes. Uh, for plus one to hit in the combat phase for a friendly unit with an 18. Yeah, very cool yeah. indeed. Um, and I went for a wizard with my Stormcast because they're from the Sacrosant Chamber. So they get to pick a spell, and I've given them Raise Dead. Um, mm. which, uh, cast and value six uh, means I can get to pick one friendly unit within 12 inches, the caster, invisible, and I can uh, return number of slain models that have a combined wounds characteristic of D3 or less to that unit. Ooh, What's fine. that? A Stormcast raising the dead? What sort, what sort of shenanigans yeah. is this? Ooh. Well, that's what mm. we can do with this anvil. We can make shenanigans. <laughs> um, so uh, number five is you can, again, it's optional, mm. uh, a, a bestial companion. So you can basically pick a, a, yes. a, a beast or a mount for your character. Mm. Did you do that? Yes, I chose a minor beast, and I began kidding that little thing out. Uh, so the minor beast is six points and gives you an extra wound and a couple of extra melee attack profiles. And then I gave it Savage Ferocity twice for two more attacks on its uh, more. Uh, I gave it 
Savage, oh, sorry, no, Savage, Savage Frosty more twice for plus two to hit on its more, so it's more attack hits on twos. Uh, Savage cool. Strength on its more for plus one to wound, so it's also wounding on twos. And, uh, then Savage Frenzy on its more three times to get it to four attacks on the more. Uh, this thing has four bite attacks on twos, twos, minus one D3 damage. <laughs> Uh, it is a little trump. I've named it a gar skink. Oh, like, uh, the fish. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I like that. <laughs> nice. Good. Good yeah. shout. Um, and it scrabbles with its little claws. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You so, claws. Yeah. Well, I think with with the, I like the idea that you can give them a mount or an additional sort of beast with them, and it basically it's sort of put into three categories: minor, mounted, or mm. gargantuan. Um, I didn't go for a mount purely because I was staying yeah. within the 20 points or uh, destiny yeah. points. I think if I gone 40, I would have had one, but they're quite expensive. Like Gagatran mm. beast is like 15 points yeah. <laughs> for context. So, <laughs> so, so it can be quite expensive, but again, a cool thing that you can do to sort of uh, oh, yeah. pump them up. So um, mm. talking of pumping them up, that's the last stage, which is basically where you can spe- spend any of your remaining points on characteristic yes. enhancements or abilities. <laughs> so you've got a whole chart of Ooh, um, things you can do. Um, yes, you so can. So what, what did you do, Cameron? Uh, this is where we turn... Uh, his name is Tekeli Tektik, Master of Ambushes, and this is where he becomes the most terrifying ranged combatant in the game. Um, <laughs> so that, that little hambo has a 9-inch range, 2 attacks, hitting on 4s, wounding on 4s, no rend, and 1 damage, right? Mm-hmm. Wrong. Because <laughs> oh. I invested in Mighty Weapon 3... For four damage, sharpened end edge three for negative three rend, weapon master two to hit on twos, and superior strength two to hit on twos, <laughs> leaving it with two attacks, hitting on twos, wounding on twos, minus three rend and four damage. His blowpipe, his slan venom blowpipe is deadly. <laughs> um, and for my last three points, I got one of superior speed to put him up to nine inch move and superior vitality to put him up to six wounds total just to yep. make him a tiny bit more survival. He still only has a six plus save. He's going to die immediately. He's not worth 400 <laughs> points. <laughs> Proper glass cannon. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um, I went for regenerate for three mm. points, which means. Uh, you can roll a dice in hero phase on a four plus. You can heal D3 wounds. Uh, I went for Ar- uh, Archmage, which uh, obviously a wizard only one for three, which means you yeah. add one to your casting and unbinding rolls. Uh, I went for Ethereal uh, for mm. four points, which means I can I ignore modifiers positive or negative to uh, save rolls. So I you know can mm. uh, negate rend uh, basically. Uh, Mighty Weapon uh, for two. Uh, which is gives you one extra damage to your, you know, to your weapon, yeah. um, and yeah. superior vitality two uh, to basically mm. give myself a couple extra wounds, which gives me twenty yeah. on the nose. Uh, so yeah, I've got some. Yeah, uh, it means basically I've got a you know four attacks, two damage side. Mm. You know, I've got uh, seven actually. I need to amend the war scroll, but I've got seven wounds, uh, you know, mm. means I can regenerate. I can, you know, I can ignore Ren to a degree. It's yeah. yeah. Cool. So, right. So what's the, what's the, what's the, what have you created from, yeah, it's from a background <laughs> point of view. Okay. So poor little Tekeli Tactic, Master of Ambushes. Why is a lone skink warrior so deadly, so lethal? <laughs> what could have driven him? To this, uh, to this point in his life, well, he's little. He's our little sly Marbo, transported to 
Uh, Age of Sigmar is what he is. Uh, so essentially, uh, he's one of he's from one of the Seraphon outposts deep in the jungles of Gur. Uh, and one day, uh, the Slan master of his temple just went to sleep and wouldn't wake up. Uh, in an attempt to sort of increase the defenses, much like other Seraphon temples had done, uh, Tekeli and his fellow skinks sped up the spawning process for Saurus warriors. But they all went rampant. They all went crazy. They went, got in a frenzy, started killing skinks left and right, and fled off into the jungle. Left alone with the other skinks to defend their sleeping master, Tekeli Tektik would do more than defend. He would expand their presence in the far reach of Gur. And the skinks do this by dipping their blow darts in the venom that drips from the sleeping slan's mouth. Uh, and putting on their blowpipes, which is my explanation of why his blowpipe is so stupidly... <laughs> overpowered uh and uh work together to practice essentially using the the giant beasts of gur as practice for driving off larger enemy forces as they slowly wage guerrilla warfare in the far reaches of gur nice i like that yeah. that is very cool <laughs> that's again that, uh, i know we we like using the phrase so 40k but that feels so oh. aos as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah <fair>. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Right. Well, for my character, who is named Tyra, with two Ys, uh, Tyra mm. Vapor Shade. So yes. I, was, I was thinking, so if you remember back to Soul Wars, as in the novel, uh, with Faris, mm. the you know, the Stormcast that, that uh, was on the, ironically, on the Anvil of Apotheosis and mm. ended up uh, falling to Nagash and then obviously yes. became... Uh, part of that i was thinking well what happens if that happened again but then so this is what happened this is what how i, I sort mm. of pitched it so so basically tyra was once a sacrosanct uh evocator prime uh who specialized mm. in banishing the dead um and especially that because her family when she was a mortal was killed by the forces in the gash so like mm. Faris in soul wars she was killed as an evocator prime she was taken yeah. by Nagash, and she became temporarily uh shade queen tyra the mortark of vengeance okay so in turn she was defeated by a unknown lord relector um whose name has been lost in time and then so Mm. when she got when she was killed her her soul went back to the anvil of apotheosis reforged again but properly this Mm. time i.e she didn't fall to nagash but because of where she's been She's basically a almost like a Stormcast Night Haunt hybrid. Oh, so she's basically yeah, a Stormcast yeah. that's kept Night Haunt train traits. Hence why she mm. can, you know, she's ethereal. She's she's gained, you know, she can raise the dead. You know, she's got she yeah, is she's still yeah. a Stormcast, but she's got yeah Night Haunt uh, traits. You know, so when she mm. walks along, you know, you can see her the color of her armor, but then it all sort of vanished mm. to be you know that sort of green ethereal look as well you know and, and basically yeah. she's become you know the the nightmare of bedtime stories you know <laughs> she's the she's still the good storm cast but you don't want to get mm. on the wrong side of her hence why i gave yeah. her a scythe i was going for that sort of you know yeah, grim, reaper grim reaper sort of mm. sort of feel to her as well so yeah i just thought this is what allow you know to me this anvil of apotheosis sort of rule set allows you to have this because in theory uh, you know, it's not, you keep within the rules. It's like, well, yeah, why not? You know, mm, yeah. you know, realm shenanigans, you know, it, it happens in, in AOS. You, weird stuff happens. So, mm. you know, why can't, 
what you, what you suggest with your character and what I suggest with mine, yeah, they can happen. So, yeah, that's <laughs> that's the, what the uh, thinking behind them. So I, I love it. I think it's such a cool system, and it and because like I said, yeah. especially because of the fact you can sort of design them, and then you think, you know what, I'm going to build that model. You know, because obviously yeah, that's the whole yeah, point exactly. of it is to use them on the on the tabletop as well. And, it, and what I quite mm-hmm. like about this is the fact you can do it either way around. You can go, mm-hmm. I want this sort of like in my head, I did it that way around. I was in, I was like, I want a you know a, this weird hybrid character. That, right, I will build the stats to do that. Or you could do it the other way around, where you build the stats for a, a cool character and go, right now, what do I want them to look like and be like? So, yeah, it's very inspirational. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a really cool system. I've yeah, had a lot of fun I, messing around with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's nice because it's simple, but it's that it's that nice balance where you can, you know, yeah, okay, you give yourself generic weapons, but you give them mm. names. Like my scythe is called the Realm Phase Scythe. You know, it's sort of like, yeah, you can give it, it's still a scythe at the end of the day, but I'll give it a cool yeah. name. And, and that's where you make it yours, really. And again, I think you can get a bit creative with a, you know, from a conversion and kit bashing sense as well. So yeah, I think mm. if you're into AOS and you've not checked out this, I definitely recommend it. So yeah. Uh, right. I think we're at the end of the episode, Cameron, after yeah, almost five it. hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, um, hope you've enjoyed this one. Like I said, it's been a very long, uh, and definitely this one is going to be split into two parts. I know I said, uh, at the start of when we recorded and obviously post editing, it will definitely be into two parts, but, uh, yeah, this one's obviously been a lot longer than, uh, than a normal episode, but you know, which is quite funny considering obviously the, the, the format change was to try to, uh, to curtail that, but Hey, you know, it was, I think it's a good idea to us to have done psychic awakening because it, like we said at the start, it gives you a good, you know, good sense of, bridging that gap because i think unless mm. you happen to own all the books and or such like you may miss all that you know that in between really now going into ninth edition and obviously whatever you know new stories and lore we get from from that as well so mm. ah, no it's been good so uh cameron where can people find you on that internet you can find me on the tweeter uh, at night underscore twitten that's night without a k uh, where I am um, tweeting and retweeting about various things, uh, the state of the world, the state of my <laughs> personal life, uh, funny memes about the previewed scroll of Tarask summoning for D&D 5th edition coming out soon, um, <laughs> all kinds of interesting <laughs> stuff. I'm just, hey, people who play Dungeons & Dragons, you know what that's about. I'm so excited to use that for some <laughs> nonsense at some point in Dungeons & Dragons. Um you can also find me, if you're looking specifically for my hobby work, uh, you can follow me on Instagram at realm underscore end underscore ruin, uh, which I have updated recently because I've been doing stuff that I'll get to talk about more uh, next episode in our realm episode. Uh, alternatively, if you do want to see the hobby stuff, you'll also see it on our podcast Twitter. Yes. Matt, what's that podcast Twitter? It's, that. <laughs> it's <laughs> at realm and ruin on Twitter. Uh, it's where we, our main social media shenanigans are. Uh, you can find me also on Twitter as well at Ninja Badger seven. Uh, you can also find our awesome discord server free to join in the show notes. Uh, some cool bits that are going on. Like we're just about to start a tabletop simulator crusade, um, on like, well, sort of crusade league, uh, on our discord as well. So we've got a few Mm. people signed up to do that. So, 
or if you just want to go on there and just talk with like-minded people about loving Warhammer and a nice, cool, you know, safe environment, which is nice in these sort of times, uh, then get on there and uh, join, get stuck in. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's been episode 58, and we'll catch you on the next one, which will be a Realm episode, so it'll be all news and hobby. Look forward to that. Uh, yes plenty of news um so like i said as always uh we'll catch you on the next one bye bye bye